podcast for another week. We are doing something different this week. We've finished our series on the rapture of the church, the blessed and glorious hope. And now we are entering a time where we're going to open the book of Revelation. Now, Revelation 1.3 refers to this book in this glorious book called the Bible. Uh, So the book of Revelation, uh, it refers to itself as this prophecy, Revelation 1.3. So the book of Revelation is Bible prophecy. And that is why we're going to step our way through it together, verse by verse, over the coming weeks. Uh, Now, I hesitate to to say, but we're actually really not going to get through any verses today. Today is all introduction uh, to the book of Revelation. And to start with, I want to ask ourselves and explain to you uh, the answer to the question, why should we read and why should we study the book of Revelation? Why? Why read it? First reason, number one, it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible, so we should read it. We should study it. Uh, We should know what's in it and we should follow it. So that's the first reason it's in the Bible. Second reason, it's Bible prophecy as stated in verse 3 of the book. And therefore, many churches don't want to touch it. Uh, And again, for that reason, we should be studying it because many churches don't. So let's make sure we do and make sure we know what it is that God has to uh, reveal to us or share with us and to teach us. Third reason is that it's the last inspired book of the Bible. It closes the canon, so to speak, of Scripture. And uh, and it tells of the climax of God's plan for mankind. So why wouldn't we want to study this book? And the fourth reason, and perhaps the most interesting, is that uh, the book of Revelation is the great, uh, many, many have called it the great blessing book. Now, there are seven blessings given through the book of Revelation for uh, different things or different people uh, in relation to uh, their response to God in different ways or or whatever. Anyway, seven blessings, uh, and they are found in Revelation 1.3, Revelation 14.13, chapter 16, verse 15, chapter 19, verse 9, chapter 20, verse 6, chapter 22, verse 7, chapter 22, verse 14. That's the seven, seven blessings. But today I want to focus on two particular. And these two make Revelation the only book in the whole Bible, the only book in the whole of the New Testament and the Old Testament to offer a specific blessing to the reader, to the hearer, and to the one who obeys what it says. Now that is pretty cool. Revelation 1.3 says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. Revelation 22.7, Jesus says, Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. That alone should make you want to read, to hear, and to obey what is written in 
the book of Revelation. God promises us a blessing. And that is why we are going to study it together here on Wednesdays. That is why I'm going to read it to you. You will hear it and we will study it uh, together each Wednesday. Now, a bit of background on the book of Revelation. First of all, who is the author? And he is the one, the only, the Apostle John is the author of this book. He was one of the 12 uh, disciples, one of the 12 apostles, uh, and he was one of the inner circle of Jesus with Peter and James and obviously himself, John. There was the three of them, Peter, James and John. Uh, he is described in the Bible as the disciple who Jesus loved. I actually I find it ironic because he's described as that in the gospel that he wrote, uh, the gospel according to John. Anyway, he is the writer of that gospel, uh, the gospel according to John, and he also wrote the three letters titled by his name, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. Reminds me of a, a song that the kids uh, listen to and sing. Anyway, it was written while John was exiled on the island of Patmos. We find that in chapter 1, verse 9. So he wrote it while he was exiled on an island called Patmos. Uh, and he was exiled for the cause of his faith. He was exiled because he was a follower of Christ and he was preaching Christ and as a Christ follower he was persecuted and exiled. So the Apostle John wrote it but when was it written? And this is a very imp important question now I want to just preface this by saying it's actually not important to me at all and I say that because my reading of Scripture, my understanding of the, uh, the book of Revelation is in no way dependent on when it was written. However, there are two views out there, the majority of which uh, claim it or, or state it to be a, a late writing of around 95 AD, uh, and fewer of whom claim an early writing somewhere between 64 and 67 AD. So there are two views, the majority view being the late writing, um, around AD 95. But these two views, the way I read it and understand Revelation, it doesn't matter whether it was written in AD 64 to 67 or AD around AD 95, it doesn't matter. It's not dependent on the date of writing. However, for everyone who believes that the majority of the book of Revelation or the entirety of the book of Revelation has already been fulfilled. For those people who believe that much of Revelation has already been fulfilled, then the date of writing is critical. Let me explain this. If the majority of Revelation has already been fulfilled, they, uh, the people that hold that view, claim it to be connected with and uh, an explanation of the events that took place around AD 70 when uh, Titus came and destroyed the temple and conquered Jerusalem. Not one stone was left. The whole of the temple was destroyed. Now they claim that Revelation is speaking about that event in AD 70. Therefore, 
it's required with their understanding of scripture that the writing of Revelation was obviously before that. If the writing was after that, the late, uh, the late writing of around AD 95, then that blows their whole understanding of what Revelation is speaking of out of the water. It means their whole view is incorrect. Um, <coughs> uh, and so the argument goes, they hold that uh, Revelation was written by John during the reign of the Roman Emperor Nero, which was between, uh, which puts it uh, in their mind somewhere around the 64 to 67. Uh, Mark. Nero uh, ruled for longer, but they place it there uh, in the, in, during the reign of Nero. Unfortunately, as I said, most biblical scholars point to the late writing of 95. My question is, what is the right answer? Again, as I said, the way I read Revelation, as you'll see as we go through, it doesn't matter. But uh, just as an initial kind of um, let's get clarity on on this uh, because it it does actually impact the view of whether revelation is already fulfilled or not uh, so let's uh, let's look at this and, and in in trying to date a book of the bible we uh if the bible doesn't give us the date specifically or the time period then we like a good detective, we have to search for clues as to the most likely date that it was written. And when it comes to dating a book of the Bible, there are two main kinds of evidence. There's external evidence and internal evidence. External being things outside of the written, the inspired written word of God, uh, and internal evidence being things that are inside the inspired written words of God. And both lines of evidence, interestingly, point strongly to the late writing of AD 95, toward the end of the reign of the Roman Emperor Domitian rather than Nero. But let's, uh, let's explore this a little bit. I just want to explore this briefly. I think it's important to look at this together because it is an argument that people hold to that uh, that informs a particular framework that they they believe and they hold to. Excuse me. Throat's a bit dry. Okay, so first of all, internal evidence. Let's look at that briefly together. Uh, firstly, Gen uh, Revelation chapter two and Revelation chapter three speak to seven churches of Asia Minor. And we see the condition of those churches within the written word here. And they all show the symptoms of being what we call second generation churches. That is one generation away from uh, when Paul first established them on his missionary journey. So one generation away from that. They all show the signs and symptoms of being a second generation church. Six out of the seven of those churches have serious problems. It seems in the scripture, in the text of Revelation 2 and 3, that Paul's missionary journeys are well in the past. However, if it was written in the 60s, that 
that wouldn't be the case. It would, would be written almost immediately after Paul's missionary journeys and doesn't seem to fit the state of the church at that time. Secondly, uh, we're going to look at three of the churches um, a little more closely. The church of Ephesus, first of all. Now, if John wrote uh, Revelation in 64 to 67 AD, the early writing, then the church in Ephesus would have received this letter, the book of Revelation, around the same time as Paul's letters to the church in Ephesus. Uh, because Ephesians was written around AD 60. Paul's letters to Timothy, the first one being around AD 64, and the second one to Timothy being around AD 67. They were all written to the elder, Timothy, and the church, Ephesians, in Ephesus in the 60s, 60 to 67 AD. So the arrival of Revelation would have been around the same time as Paul's letters. What's interesting is that John mentioned in Revelation the loss of their first love. So the church in Ephesus having lost their first love. And he also references the Nicolaitans. But what I find interesting and fascinating is that Paul in his letter to the Ephesians and to Timothy he doesn't mention either of those things. He doesn't mention that they've lost their first love and he doesn't mention this group of people called the Nicolaitans. Why doesn't he? Similarly, John and Paul don't mention each other. They don't mention each other at all. Why? If John wrote at the same time as Paul, surely they would have mentioned each other. Surely they would have both mentioned the loss of their first love and this group, the Nicolaitans. However, if John wrote 30 years later in AD 95, then this makes complete sense that they don't. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? So we've got to follow these clues. Uh, none of these clues in and of themselves uh, give us the answer, but as they build the clues like a good detective, seem to point in a particular direction. And we need to look in the direction that they're pointing. The Church of Smyrna apparently didn't even exist in the 60s. Now, this is interesting. This is a mixture of internal and external evidence because the internal is that John wrote to the church in Smyrna in Revelation. The external evidence suggests that they didn't even exist in the 60s. Follow me with this. Polycarp was the Bishop of Smyrna, the Bishop of the Church in Smyrna, or the Elder of the Church in Smyrna. And he wrote a letter to the Philippian Church around about 110 AD. So in around 110 AD, he wrote to the Philippian Church. And he said to the Philippian Church in that letter that the, that the Smyrnaeans, oh, that's an interesting word, the people of Smyrna, did not know the Lord during the time that Paul was ministering. You can look up uh, the reference to that uh, in Polycarp's epistle to the Philippians. Uh, but he specifically stated 
that the Smyrnians didn't know the Lord during the period that Paul was ministering. When was Paul ministering? He was ministering during the 50s and the 60s AD. Remember the letter to the Ephesians, 60 AD? The letters to Timothy around 64 and 67 AD? Paul was ministering through the 60s. And Polycarp, the bishop, the elder of Smyrna, who you would think would know the history of the church in Smyrna, specifically said to the Philippians that the church in Smyrna didn't know the Lord, that, well, they didn't exist. There, no one in Smyrna knew the Lord bef- uh, during the time that Paul was ministering. So again, if John's letter to the church in Smyrna came in the 60s, well, who was he writing to? No one knew the Lord there at that time. Then we've got the church of Laodicea. John in Revelation 2.17 states that Laodicea is rich, is wealthy, and in need of nothing. Now, again, this is a mixture of internal and external evidence. But in AD 60, now keep in mind that John said that they are rich, they are wealthy, and in need of nothing. Now, in AD 60, that city suffered a devastating earthquake a devastating earthquake in AD 60. Yet they refused the help of Rome, preferring to rebuild their city themselves. And it wasn't until about AD 90, history attests, that all the rebuilding was finally finished. It took them about 30 years. It was a 30-year rebuilding project of the city. It took them about 30 years to complete that rebuilding project. The extent of the damage and the time it took to rebuild the city are powerful evidence for the late date of writing. You see, if it had been written in the 60s, as some suggest, it would have been the beginning of that 30-year rebuilding program of the city. And they would have needed many things in that early stage of writing. So it doesn't make sense that John would write that they are rich and wealthy and in need of nothing when the truth is that in the early stages of the rebuilding process, they would have needed much. Um, So again, the internal evidence points to a late date. Then we come to the banishment of John to Patmos. Remember Revelation 9, uh, 1-9, how it states that John received the contents of the revelation while he was exiled on the island of Patmos. Now, again, all of this internal evidence uh, is connected with external. Church history consistently testifies that both Peter and Paul were executed in Rome near the end of Nero's reign. Okay, so they're executed near the end of Nero's reign. My question is, why would Nero execute Peter and Paul, two of the apostles, in the 60s, but decide to merely banish the apostle John? That would seem like a wildly inconsistent punishment when you look at the way that Nero dealt with Christians and when you look at the way that Nero dealt specifically with the two apostles Paul and Peter. Wildly 
inconsistent. Whereas Domitian, who was Nero's successor, he also persecuted Christians. Seems like no one liked the Christians in Rome at that time. But for him, banishment was one of his main modes of dealing with Christians. So the way he persecuted Christians was to kick them out of certain cities, certain places. He would banish them to other places. Again, this seems to make more sense uh, that John would be banished when you compare Nero and how he dealt with Christians to Domitian and how he dealt with Christians. It would make more sense then that John was banished during Domitian's reign rather than Nero because Nero was all about uh, executing, whereas Domitian was far more about banishment. So again, it, the internal evidence seems to, time and time and time and time again, point to a late writing. But then there's more specific external evidence that I want to speak to. Now, Irenaeus is one of the early church fathers. He spent his youth in Smyrna, which is obviously one of the churches written to in Revelation. He was a student or a disciple of Polycarp. I mentioned Polycarp earlier, who was the bishop of Smyrna, the elder of Smyrna. Irenaeus was a student of Polycarp. Have a guess who Polycarp was a student of. He was a student of the Apostle John. Interesting. You would think that a student of the Apostle John would understand and remember and know when John was banished. And you would then assume that a student of Polycarp would also know and understand firsthand through uh, Polycarp when the Apostle John was banished. And Irenaeus, who was the student of Polycarp, who was the student of uh, the Apostle John, wrote in his commentary of the book of Revelation, uh, when he was commenting on Revelation 13, 18, and he wrote this commentary, Irenaeus did, in about 180 AD. He said this, For if it were necessary that the name of him, the Antichrist, should be distinctly revealed in this present time, it would have been told by him who saw the upper, oh wow, apocalyptic vision. My brain just didn't work there. Uh, speaking of John. So what he's saying is about Revelation 13, 18, if it were necessary that the name of the Antichrist should be distinctly revealed and known in the present time that uh, Arrhenius was writing it, then it would have been told by John uh, when he saw the vision. For it was seen no long time ago. He said it was seen not long ago. But almost in our generation, so just a generation apart, but almost in our generation, note these words, toward the end of Domitian's reign. When did Domitian's reign end? AD 96. Interesting. Irenaeus, student of Polycarp, who was a student of the Apostle John, clearly stated that the revelation was given to John toward the end of Domitian's reign, which is a late date. It's a late writing of, uh, of the revelation by John. 
That's like the crown jewel of the early church father's historical evidence of the date of writing. But there's so much more. We're, uh, many of the early church fathers uh, specifically, and there's writings that you can research, specifically reference an early date, as did Irenaeus there. Hegesippus in 150 AD, Irenaeus in 180 AD, Victorinus in 300 AD, Eusebius, Eusebius in 300 AD, Jerome in 400 AD, Sulpicius Severus, wow, hard names to, uh, in 400 AD, the Acts of John in 650 AD, and on and on and on it goes. Whereas the first clear an accepted witness of the early date, so someone who clearly stated in their writings, uh, and it's accepted by historians, of the early date is around 550 AD. So you have numerous, you have many, including Irenaeus, who we just talked about, clearly articulating in their writings that we can go and look at of a late date, around 95 AD within the first 500 years, but you've only got one. The earliest one is 550 AD of the early date. And there's some more after that, but the earliest documented evidence of that is 550 AD, which is a long way away from the time of writing, either 60s or 90s. All of this internal and external evidence point towards the AD 95 writing of Revelation. As I said, it doesn't really bother me, but does blow the uh, viewpoint out of the water that all of Revelation or most of Revelation has already been fulfilled at the time of 70 AD when the temple was destroyed. Okay, so I'm glad we've got that out of the way. AD 95 is when it was written. It was written by the Apostle John. It was written by John on the island of Patmos. Question is, why was it written? What was the purpose of the revelation that Jesus gave to John and that in turn, John wrote down and sent to the churches for the churches then and for the churches now? What was the, uh, what was the point of that? And, and can I just get this out of the way as well? Um, uh, many people will say, that it's only relevant for the churches then, the seven specific churches in Asia, Asia Minor then. It's not relevant for the churches now. The, the whole book, uh, but also specifically uh, Revelation chapters 2 and 3. I find that fascinating because those same people will read the book uh, or the letter written to Ephesians and written to Philippians and written to the Thessalonians and written to the Colossians. And they will say, yes, those are absolutely relevant for us now, the church now. Hang on a minute. Those were specific churches at that specific time. What makes those relevant to us now, but the, the book of Revelation not relevant to us now because it's only relevant to those seven churches that were there at that time. That's wildly inconsistent reading of Scripture. Of course, Ephesians is relevant to us now. Of course, Philippians is. Likewise, Revelation is relevant to us now. 
and indeed is written to us now. And I would argue is more relevant to us now than it was to them because we are 2,000 years down the road closer to the time in which that it speaks. So what was the purpose? Firstly, Revelation is a clear account of how Jesus Christ will receive his kingdom. Check out Revelation five, uh, 4 and 5 for the, the commencement of that, if I can put it that way. But he will receive his kingdom by means of judgment on a wicked world. It is about the establishment of God's kingdom on this earth. It's the climax of earth's history. That's what it's all about. And the knowledge of that, the knowledge of that information, that history, God's plan, encourages God's people now and then to persevere, even in times of trouble and distress and to look up for our redemption, our blessed hope, our glorious hope of the rapture draws near. See, the kingdom of Christ is indeed coming and God will judge the world in preparation. All you've got to do is read through almost any part of Revelation, but specifically chapters 6 through 19, and you will see the judgment that is coming upon the world. But the believer will view this judgment as John did in Revelation, check out Revelation 4.1, from heaven after we are raptured. See, all of history is driving us towards this messianic kingdom and then on to eternity. And Revelation is the revealing of these coming events. It's the, bring, it's the coming together of all of mankind's history. It's what we're moving towards. And that should give the believer a great encouragement. Now, before we get into even the first verse, I want to give you th three practical keys to understanding Revelation. And what I want to say is this is not a secret way to unlock the meaning of the symbols in Revelation. Anyone that tells you they have a secret key to unlocking the symbols in Revelation, uh, they're having you on. Um, rather, these three practical keys, I would argue, are just plain common sense in relation to how best to understand uh, what's written in Revelation. The first one is we need to recognize that the Lord meant for us to understand the revelation. He meant for us to understand. The word revelation literally means the unveiling or the disclosure of that which was previously hidden or unknown. It literally means to reveal it. Why would that be the title if God didn't want us to understand what is written? It is meant for us to read it, for us to hear it and for us to understand and obey it. So if someone tells you that revelation is too hard to understand, it's, it's too hard. Therefore, we're not going to read it. We're not going to study it. Just, just remind them what the name of the book is. Revelation or apocalyptic. It, it all means the revealing, the unveiling. Just remind them of that. That's the first key. God meant for us to read it and understand it. Number two, key number two. 
We need it and we're almost finished. So we're out of time. Uh, number two, we, we need to recognize that most of what is in the book of Revelation is not new information. See, there are, there are 404 verses in Revelation. And in those 404 verses, uh, there are more than, and some people will say up to 800, uh, but there are at least more than 500 allusions. That's not direct quotes or references, but over 500 allusions from passages in the Old Testament. That's incredible. Revelation, you see, pieces together like a puzzle, much of the prophetic scriptures. So much of what prophecy there is found in the Old Testament is pieced together in a glorious puzzle in the book of Revelation. See, it presents the climax of God's plan for mankind, as I said, not new, but brings clarity to that. It brings all those prophetic scriptures together in a clear and concise way. That's the second one. Number one, remember, uh, it's meant, the Lord meant for us to understand it. Number two, we need to recognize that most of what's in there is not new, but brings together and makes clear what, what's in the Old Testament. Uh, and the third uh, key, practical key that I want us, to un, uh, want us to grasp is that we need to correctly understand the symbols in the book of Revelation. And of course, that makes sense. We need to correctly understand them. Well, how do we do that? I'll give you two steps. Two steps that we need to go through to uh, foolproof, if you will, a correct understanding of the symbols that are in Revelation. I'm not going to question the fact that there's symbols in Revelation. There are symbols in Revelation. And you've heard me said time and time again, we need to read the Bible literally or plainly. Well, what do we do when there's symbols? How do we correctly understand symbols in Revelation? Step one, when symbols are used, we need to realize that they refer to something that is literal. Okay? It's not a symbol of another symbol or a symbol of something that's not real. It is a symbol of something that is very real and very literal. We need to understand that. That's step one. The symbol is always representing something that's real and literal. Okay? Step two. Once we've recognized that it's a symbol of something literal, step two is that we need to recognize that all the symbols in Revelation are either explained in the book itself or in other parts of the Bible. You've heard me say numerous times that Scripture interprets Scripture. That's how we understand the symbols. The symbols will either be explained in the context surrounding the passage or somewhere else in the book of Revelation, or we'll find it somewhere else in Scripture. You see, the Bible teaches that no symbol or prophecy or anything is of personal interpretation. The scripture must interpret the symbol. And if there is no clear explanation for something that is written in, Re in Revelation, then it should be taken literally. That's how, that's the way we determine fact from fiction. We shouldn't be making symbols mean whatever. The symbol should either be uh, explained in Revelation or elsewhere, or it should be taken literally. There's no other option. That is how 
we should read Revelation. Okay, I'm going to pause there because we're out of time. Next week, we're going to finally start this journey verse by verse, and we're going to open up Revelation chapter 1, verse 1 together and start our journey uh, in understanding what God has to say for us, sorry, to us uh, in the awesome book of Revelation, in the incredible revelation of Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for joining our Prophecy Times podcast for another week. Looking forward to seeing you next week, Wednesday, 5 p.m. Much love and God bless.